0: Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is series 3, episode 12 of this daily Come Follow Me study podcast. Thank you very much for joining us as we continue with our study for this week in January the 4th to January the 10th, covering Joseph Smith History 1, verses 1 to 26. And today we're going to move into the section where uh, we look at verses 15 to 20. The first vision began the restoration of Jesus Christ's gospel. So yes we are we've just de- dealt with the background uh, of the of this first vision uh, we've talked about what Joseph Smith actually did in his searching about his questions that he had and then we've talked about the preparation for the actual day that he received that vision and today we are going to talk about the vision itself this is probably one of the most well-known um experiences within our church it's probably one of the most Um, celebrated experiences and in fact last year we celebrated the bicentennial of this event in 2020 um, where Joseph Smith knelt down in the sacred grove and received this revelation and indeed we have a proclamation about it now Um, not necessarily about the first vision but how the first vision began the events of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the restoration is continuing today. So we'll dive straight back into the account where we left it in verse 16, where we had Satan trying to stop Joseph from calling upon God. And I guess the question is, why was Satan allowed to do this? You know, it would have been very easy for our Heavenly Father to have kept Satan at bay away from the young Joseph whilst he said his prayer. But he was allowed to try and overcome young Joseph at that time and stop him from from praying. And it wasn't until he was able to exert all his powers to call upon God that he saw this pillar of light. Why was it that allowed to happen? I suppose there's a couple of reasons why, uh, uh, amongst the many other reasons there could be. Um, First of all, that. We all have to experience Satan and his temptations and his trials and difficulties in our lives. Just because we are doing the Lord's work, just because we are trying to keep the commandments, just because we are trying to do the best that we can does not mean that we're not going to encounter intense difficulty. Um, In some cases, maybe even more difficulty because of our faith. Um, you know, we've had many experiences and and um, instances where people who are about to do great things or who are about to have wonderful spiritual experiences or do something ima- amazing, um, they they seem to get even more trials in their lives. The number of times as a missionary where I was teaching someone and they got close to baptism and then some profound difficulty would enter their lives. It got to a stage where I would teach my, invest- where I tell my investigators that you know, you will find that, you know, as you're preparing and getting close to your baptism, there may be some more difficulties that arise. Just rest assured that as Joseph Smith was, was praying in the grover trees and he found intense difficulty before the actual revelatory moment, um, you may well find difficulties before your revelatory moments as well. Um, and I think that that is, you know, just something we need to be aware of, that This was a real profound teaching moment for us and for young Joseph, because he would go through great intense opposition uh, in trying to restore this church and lay that foundation. Also, I think there's something interesting to note in terms of his later experiences. In verse 21, when he shares this vision with one of the Methodist preachers that he was um, conversing with before, um, he gave an account of this vision and he said... Um, In verse 21, I was greatly surprised at his behavior. He treated my communication not only lightly, but with great contempt, saying it was all of the devil, that there were no such things as visions or revelations in these days. Um, We're very well aware of how people responded. But it's interesting that at that time, they would have most of of them likely attributed that vision to the work of the devil, uh, because that seemed to be kind of the the main theology uh, viewpoint at that time. And of course, Joseph having been through that experience with Satan trying to bind his tongue and trying to do him to certain destruction, um, he would have been able to turn around and say, well, actually, no, <laughs> I know it's not of the devil because he's a young boy, don't forget. He's 14 years old. If someone that he valued and he respected, like Methodist preachers and Presbyterian teachers and all these other people, turned around and said to him, look, thank you for sharing this with me. This This is of the devil. Don't follow it. Um, young Joseph may well have been very impressionable and gone oh maybe I do need to be a bit careful because you know these people who I respect are saying these things however because he had that experience with the devil and then he had the opposite experience with his heavenly father and his saviour he is able to point out and discern no that is not the devil I know what the devil feels like I felt that this was something different Um, and I think that that was an interesting um, thought to have there So he sees this pillar of light. And interestingly, um, in some of the accounts, particularly the earlier accounts of the 1832 and 1835 accounts, this um, light is actually described as fire. Now, don't forget, this um, this is before the time of electric lights and things like that. So particularly in the context where we think about how the grove would have been filled with blossoms, like we spoke about yesterday, it may well have looked like fire. This intense light can only be attributed to fire in this time in the context that we're in. And it's interesting that, um, if you look, I think it's the 1832 one, if you look at the actual Joseph Smith transcripts, his actual handwriting, you can see that the word fire has been crossed out for light. He's trying to describe just this radiance, this eminence that's coming from this pillar. And in his unlearned tongue, and in his tongue where he doesn't understand perhaps the concept of light, as much as we do in the 21st and 20th century, um, that's how he can just describe it. And I just love that, that that true feeling from the record that we get uh, of, this, of this young man trying to uh, describe it. Also something which is worth considering is this. Now in verse 17 in the 1838 account and in the 1835 and the 1842 accounts, we have this. Um, idea. It no sooner that I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound, when the light rested upon me. I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, "This is my beloved son. Hear him." Now, a couple of things about this. So, like I mentioned, this was talked about in all the accounts except the first one. In eighteen thirty-two, it just refers to God. Uh, appearing to Joseph and saying that his sins were fig- forgiven which I think is a lovely point as well that actually that's not picked up in the 1838 accounts. but of course the 1838 account was all about telling it to more people to the wider world and of course he would focus on the aspects of the fact that he was called to restore God's church or Christ's church um, rather than focusing on his own internal battle with his own sins which is ultimately why he went there in the first place In 1832 account, we see that actually that was the main focus. He wants to find forgiveness for his sins. And in 1832 account, that's what God focused on in the words that Joseph recorded, that his sins were forgiven, Um, which is a lovely thought as well. Um, We all need to have that that desire to find forgiveness for our sins. But anyway, going back to what I was talking about with um, the fact that only God is mentioned. And I'm I'm being very specific here to not say one personage, because he doesn't say it was one personage. He does say it was God. Now, I want you to try and picture this. This is obviously Joseph's first attempt to write down his vision. Of course, he will have shared it with his family, but he didn't share it with many people um, outside of his family until, um, and of course, we do know that he shared it with his family because we have records of that from their various histories. But he doesn't share it with the wider people until the church is organized or just after or just before the church is organized. I'm not sure where it begins to be shared with wider people than that. But we know that it's first written down in 1832. Um, and let's not forget that this is the early 19th century. This is at a time where the view on God, the, 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 the theology on God is the Trinity, you know there is really nothing else out much else outside of that. That there is one God uh, and that He's made of three indivi- three beings, or three uh, how do I describe it? Three parts, but there is one God. And so, Joseph is obviously giving a very big claim here that he has seen God and he has been called to restore his church. So, of course, to then say as well, oh, and by the way, there's two there's two personages that I saw, God the Father and Jesus Christ, his son, and they are separate, would almost, I don't know, as, a, as again, as a young man or as a young adult, he's probably just focusing on just the parts that are enough to deal with right there and then. As time goes on, of course, though, Joseph realises that he has to testify to the world that, that indeed there is God the Father Jesus Christ, his son, and the Holy Ghost as three distinct personages or beings. Um, and so, of course, that's when in 1835 and the later accounts we find that he does testify of this um, and share this more openly. Uh, I can completely understand why he would be a little bit reluctant to make the claim that there is more than not more than one God, but more than one personage who make the Godhead because I think that he'd be very scared to do that, especially with the great uh, contention and arguments that he's seen as a young boy growing up in in these religions who, you know, they all believe the same thing about God, but they all obviously have different ways of following him. And they had such disagreements to then come out and, as a young adult and say, oh, actually, there's two two personages, in fact, three personages who make up the Godhead would just be, or he would perhaps worry would bring too much contention for him. Um, whether that's right or wrong, obviously, is, you can decide, I suppose, but I I know that if I was in Joseph's position, I would feel very nervous about that as well. Um, we've gone a bit over than I expected, so we'll we'll fi- we'll deal with the the fallout, the um the events after his vision tomorrow. So thank you very much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed the study. Uh, Please do join the podcast uh, Facebook group. uh, That's Church Jesus Christ Study Session. Come follow me. You can also email ldsstudysession at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your feedback, what you've been studying on either of of those platforms. Or you can, of course, let me know if you're interested in joining in a future podcast episode yourselves. Thank you for your time. And until we meet again.